Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Take a moment just to allow that message to wash over us, that you are loved, that you are precious, that you are significant because of God. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are always faithful, that you are always there, that we can always turn to you in times of despair and trouble. You are so faithful. So today, Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me and we wouldn't hear from Sam, we would hear from you today. Lord, would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to grab a seat. Uh, if you are in the teen zone, uh, Youth Connect, sorry, um, you can head out now. Uh, also, uh, there's a members meeting, uh, not a members meeting, a membership class at 10.30 today. So if you're interested in, in being a, hearing about uh, us as a church, who we are, what we do, um, please uh, make yourself known to Pastor Paul and uh, he will make, make room for you in that. So that'll be good. But good morning. I'm, I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. If, if you're new here, uh, lovely to meet you, lovely to see you, and I uh, trust that you enjoy this community as we celebrate and learn a bit about God. Um, so in school, one of the things that I often struggled with is, uh, was measurements, and not so much the metric measurements, but it was more the imperial measurements as we're sort of learning conversions. And uh, like, I love Americans, but Americans have got this horribly wrong. Uh, imperial is not a nice way of measuring anything, you know, like metric is, you know, nice, neat, tens, hundreds, thousands, it's beautiful to work with, you can... I'm not picking on the Americans in the, in the building, but um, it's, it, it's, it's just it's a really lovely thing. Uh, but imperial is just yuck. Like, I just the random measurements of stuff. And uh, the only thing we use imperial for is measuring babies. I don't know why we still do that in Australia, but hey, it's a thing. But uh, why am I talking about measuring? Measuring is, a, is, is something that is significant and we all do. And uh, can be problematic. In, in fact, uh, it can be very costly. In 1999... So what's that, like 22 years ago? America, a NASA program, they had a problem because they actually crashed a Mars orbital probe into the surface of Mars. And the reason that it crashed was because of measurements. You see, its altitude control system used Imperial, while its navigational software used metric. It wasn't compatible, and it missed so close. It missed by 100 kilometres into the surface, and uh, so, it's a, you know, it wasn't very that costly. It was only $125 million. Um, whoops, whoops moment. Measuring, measuring things can be dangerous. And I think it's a, there's times in my life where I've measured myself. I remember a number of years ago measuring my birthday, not by presents and what I had, but by how many Facebook likes I got. And uh, it was like I had a bump a year one year. One year I had like, I don't know what it was, maybe Facebook changed the rules and promoted me. I don't know, but I got a lot of likes. And I'm like, great, I felt really good. Uh, the following year, I didn't get as many 
uh, Facebook likes. I got more presents, but less Facebook likes. And so I felt a little bit downer. I'm like, oh, oh, that's a bit disappointing. Um, And so I was measuring my birthday, crazy idea, by my Facebook response. And it's, it's, it's not a... Maybe, we, maybe you're like that too. Maybe you measure your life and your worth and success by things like that. I remember going to my 10-year reunion 10 years ago. So this year is actually my 20th year school reunion. And at the 10-year reunion, everyone was comparing their, their things. There were, you know, how many kids have you got? What have you done? What, how successful has this last 10 years been in your life? And it was just a big show and tell, the comparisons. It was like... You know, you know, I'm successful, I've got money, I've got houses, cars and all this. And it was, it was such a toxic place to be because everyone was just showing off. And it was not one real genuine conversation was held that whole time. And it was really, really frustrating. I wonder, I, I hear the 20-year reunion is a little bit better because they're less comparisons and they're more relational. Um, yet to see, we'll see how that goes. But uh, there's a saying that he who dies with the most toys wins. And that's certainly something that the comparison game of life, the narrative that our world is telling us, is promoting that idea of compare yourselves, collect the things, be successful in that way. Now, it's not just us that, that does that. The, the disciples actually did this. And not just once, it was a kind of a bit of a theme for them. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Mark 9, chapter 9, verse 30. I'll give you a sec to find it. All right, that's enough. Uh, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And then they came to Capernaum. Or Capernaum. Uh, when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. And I love this passage because you've got a context of Jesus has just explained to them he's about to die and rise again. And then on the road from that place, they're arguing about who is going to be the greatest. They completely missed what was going on. They completely missed what God was doing, what Jesus was about to do. The most significant act in human history was about to take place, and they were arguing about who was going to be bigger or stronger or who was the best. And uh, they completely missed it. This competitive spirit seems to continue through right up until Jesus' last meal before he died. The Last Supper. Peter, Peter gets up in front of all his, his friends and all the disciples and, and says, I am going to be the most faithful out of everyone. All these other guys, they're going to deny, they're, they're going to, you know, they'll turn away. But I will never deny you. I'll never. And then Jesus turns around and says, you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Boom. I shot that idea down. And, uh, but this, this competitiveness seems to be a theme within the disciples. And it can be a theme within Christians and within the church. And we, can, we often compare programs and compare success. See, it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing to want to do significant things. It's not a bad thing to want to, to be great. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing to, to want to um, have victories in life and to be success, successful. It's not a bad thing to want that. The danger 
The danger is often that we compare ourselves with people. The danger is that we we, we are seeking self-acclamation. Jesus continually walked away from self-acclamation. He wasn't trying to promote himself. The amount of times he tells us the people who he's just healed, he's like, hey, don't, don't tell anyone. It's not, not the right time. Or he's, he's, just, he's laid low. He wasn't trying to self-promote himself, which is a, a bizarre idea. The son of God you know, who's come to humanity to rescue and redeem is not promoting himself, and, and yet I do. I promote myself, you know, and so maybe I need to do a bit of hard check. Sam, what are, you, what are you doing? The problem is not the desire to do great things, but it's what we use to measure it. And what we, can, what we use to measure greatness and success can often become our focus. It can become our comparisons. I can't sing like Matthew, but I can juggle far better than Paul. And we start to rate ourselves based on our abilities and those things around us. The problem is it never leaves us satisfied. There's always going to be someone bigger, stronger, better, smarter, richer, wealthier, healthier, happier than you. And when we start to play these comparison games, we, we, we are never satisfied. And Jesus' kingdom that he's calling us to operates in a completely different way. See, this danger that pride, pride it gives us this kingdom value that hides our true reality. And we start measuring in units of people. It's a, that, that might be, let's make it a thing. It can be units of people, you know, like it's a measurement of pride of I'm, I'm successful compared to that person. And uh, that, that becomes a problem because we fixate on the wrong things. Jesus continues talking in verse 35. He said, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and a servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. And this is significant because Jesus defined humility not as a feeling or emotion, but seen in the action of someone lowering, lowering their position to serve someone beneath their standing. See, at this time, kids were not valued like they are today. Kids were not esteemed. They were not honoured. They were, they were to be seen but not heard. They were you know, not a part of society in a functional way. And Jesus has said, hey, if you want to be great, you need to lower yourself from the positions of honour that you see yourselves in and connect and engage and serve people below you, people who will never be able to repay you. And that's a very, very hard thing to do. It's significant. Jesus redefined humility as a good thing. See, up, up until this time, humility existed in the world when Jesus arrived, uh, but humility was a bad thing. It was seen as a bad thing because kings would be humbled. They would be humbled by being crushed and humiliated and defeated. And when Jesus came, he changed that value system and he changed that narrative so that humility was something to be esteemed that they wanted. And so from Jesus on earth onwards, kings longed to be seen as humble. Often they failed miserably, but it, was, it became a virtue or something that is good. And this kingdom value affects his church and his people significantly. And we need to embrace 
a lifestyle and a perspective of humility and understand what humility is because it changes how we operate. The gospel truth is in God's economy, greatness is measured in units of humility. We could make that a thing, units of humility. How humble are you? A unit of humility, that would be wonderful. I don't know what it looks like, but it's an interesting thought of what humility looks like. What is humility? I think there's a problem when we start measuring humility, and well, that's a reason for itself. Um, but there are some, some fruit that we can see from humility. So you can't exactly measure humility. It's a bit of an oxymoron paradox. Uh, you can't measure. As soon as you start to quantify it, it ceases to exist. It's a bit like grace. As soon as you put conditions on grace, it ceases to be grace. And so with humility, we can't measure it, but you can see fruit from humility and its significance in that. So I've got four things that I think are significant with humility, and I want to encourage us. Uh, humility it was defined by Jesus. Jesus came to earth... And uh, it, it, humility enables engagement with humanity. So humility, the first one is humility engages humanity. And this was best seen by Jesus, who left heaven, a space that was amazing, and he t- took on hum- humanity, human form, the restrictions and conditions of humanity, and uh, he took that on to reach and connect with us. See, humility is this willingness to actually hear from someone. Now, if you, I'm just trying to unpack this in my own mind. God knows everything, he comes to earth in the form of Jesus, and so Jesus knows everything. And you've got Jesus, if you've got Jesus in the building, who do you think is going to be doing the most talking? Well, you'd like to think Jesus would be uh, giving us all his wisdom and enlightening us. But that's often not what we find happens. How many questions, we could do a bit, of a bit of a quiz here. How many questions do you think Jesus asked in the Gospels? Your four Gospels, uh, five, ten, fifteen, what sort of numbers? I mean, no one's really game to actually say that because it's live streamed. I get it, it's a bit embarrassing. Um, 339, great job, Joel, well done. Uh, Jesus asked, astonishingly, 339 questions in the Gospels. And I think that's remarkable, given someone who knows everything is asking questions. And, And so this is what humility does. Humility engages with people. It opens them up. They want to hear what your thoughts are, who you are. It's significant. Because humility enables us to engage with each other. Sometimes I speak way too much and it's a, in our life group. There's, there's a number of us that speak way too much in our life group. And so often we just need to shut our mouths and allow other people to speak. And that's, that's something I struggle with. I talk way too much. Sam, time to stop and listen. And humility allows us to hear the other person, to engage with them. See, this isn't just individually, this is, I think, collectively. See, as, as churches, as Christians throughout the world, we are often talking and answering questions that no one's actually asking. Often we're, we're giving answers that people are like, well, that doesn't really, I don't know, why, why would you say that? I, I think it would do us well as as Christians, as believers, to walk in humility and, and listen to the people we're in. 
to listen to our neighbours, what sort of questions are they actually asking? What, are, what issues are they really working through? And that, that takes humility. Sam, stop telling your favourite story or favourite response and listen to what is going on. And so humility engages humanity in a powerful way. And Jesus modelled that by continually asking questions and drawing people out and engaging them with his message of hope. It's not that Jesus didn't know, but he wanted them to journey with him on a journey of understanding and embracing. They say the greatest compliment you can pay someone is to ask them something about themselves. And it's so true. Humility is a posture as, as God's people, as God's kingdom, that we need to take hold of and to stop talking and to start engaging better with humanity, with people around us. See, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. Less about yourself. More engaging, genuine, authentic relationships with the people around us. The second thing, number two, if you're taking notes, humility leads there's a book called uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Great book. And he basically collates a whole heap of research from around the world. And they've collated this all together and found what makes successful leaders. And they found four main levels of leadership that various people have operating in all four. But they actually came across a fifth level of leadership, which is like the ultimate form of leadership. It's like the best way you can lead a healthy culture, healthy team. And uh, this, this highest level of leadership is really cool because there's two things that operates at this level. It's shared determination and humility. The sense of grit and humility together make the ultimate leader. And I love how secular research points to Jesus. I love it. It's like, it just makes sense. You know, the, the, the world is saying, hey, what we really need most operating in our world to change and transform our world is someone who's got shared determination and humility. And I don't see anyone better than Jesus, who by determ determination hopped on the cross. He chose the cross and, and determination kept him there. But there's the humility that he embraced coming to humanity. And I, and I love that. I love seeing how the, the world just highlights the Bible. The Bible is so good. It's just, yeah, anyway, I could go on for that for a bit while. But uh, it's a really, really significant thing. So leadership, it, our influence is affected by our level of humility. And as we, as we walk and allow God to, to humble ourselves, and as we choose to humble ourselves, because humility is an action, it's a verb, it's something that we choose to act on, as we allow humility to reign in our lives, we actually lead better. And I believe we're all called to lead in some form. We're all called to have influence, if you define leadership in that way, to have influence wherever you are. You are called to be a light, to have influence, and humility is a significant ingredient in that. Fantastic. Awesome. All right, third one, number three, humility is an attitude where we enter into God's rest. I love this one because humility is this beautiful thing that I'm no longer counting my greatness level. I don't need to, to worry about my success level or how successful I am. I'm not counting. See, our identity is given to us on the cross when Jesus came. and he, he, If you want to know what something is worth, you look at what someone is willing to pay for it. God gave his, his son's life for you. That is your value. You are infinitely valuable. 
And humility allows us to not count our, our worth or success by the people or the things around us. But because of what Jesus has done and is doing in and through you, your identity is given when you accept Jesus as your king. And so I encourage as far as understanding humility, if you don't know Jesus, you'll never really be able to grasp humility in the same way because humility is it's a gift that comes in and allows to operate through you, but it's God that does it through your life. And you need to be connected to the vine, connected to Jesus to actually operate in this level of humility. It's something that the Spirit of God in us allows us to operate within as we respond to the Holy Spirit. But up till now, that all makes sense. Oh, that's Sam, that's lots of nice things about humility. And we all probably nod our heads and say, yeah, humility is a good thing. Well done, Sam. Uh, the problem here is that we all think we're humble. Yeah, who thinks they're humble? Yeah, yeah, no one's putting their hand up because that's kind of not what humble people do. Um, <laughs> But humility, we all think we're humble. Like, I used to own a business on a Gold Coast, and we used to employ a fair few people. And um, you ask anyone, are you a good worker? Their response is yes. Everyone thinks they're a hard worker. Everyone thinks they're some form humble. You see, this is the problem, is that pride prevents us from recognising our true reality. Our true reality. And so I've got some questions that help me. They might help you. To, to assess where you are at on the immeasurable humility chart. All right, here we go. Um, this is kind of by the fruit, so you can see it. Are we more interested, first question, are we more interested in telling someone your opinion or listening to them? Uh, you know, you have this conversation with someone and I remember sitting on a plane to Melbourne three weeks ago and um, the lady I sat next to, I spoke a lot. And um, was, I wasn't going to share this, but it's coming here anyway. Um, I was talking about hunting. Like, I love hunting. I love, you know, it's, it's my thing. And um, after about what, 45 minutes of me sharing my passion, um, she turns around and says uh, that she's a um, vegan activist. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Much awkwardness happens in that conversation. We still had another half an hour of the flight, and I'm like, ah! Um, but I wasn't really interested in listening. You know, I was, I was just, hey, here's my thing. This is what I do, la, la. And um, it was an awkward situation. The beautiful thing that happened in that story was that um, we, we got to the place of having genuine conversation. And it was really cool, actually, because we both came to the point of accepting and appreciating. We both wanted to look after and maintain the earth. Like we came to some common ground. It was a really beautiful thing, um, but it took me to sort of swallow my pride and like, all right, I want to hear why you are a vegan activist. Like what, what, what's your why? And it's really cool as we unpack that and we sort of start to hear the passions that drove our decision. Like my passion for hunting is a sustainable future. I wanted to look after and eat well. Meat, I love meat. Sorry if you don't like meat. Um, and she was wanting to do the same kind of thing, but in a very different way. So it was a beautiful conversation. Anyway, so I struggle with humility. Maybe, maybe you do as well. All right. Uh, the second question I have is, when someone is talking, are we think of what we're going to say next? Or are we listening to what they're saying? 
my wife talks to me all the time, and it's be- I love you, Em. And um, often I see the lips moving, and I already know what I'm going to say, but I'm not actually processing what she's saying. And she's like, yes, this happens all the time. Um, and this is, this is okay. Humility stops the questions. It stops us thinking about our response and allows us to engage with the people authentically. And I think this is a beautiful thing as, as God's people, when we start to engage in humanity with an authenticity, it's genuine. People start to see a genuine, authentic God operating. But often it takes us to walk in humility, and stop telling everyone our opinion, and listening to what engages and drives them. And you can see that in how Jesus operated. He, he saw a layer deeper than what was said, but it takes us it takes us a lot longer to be able to see that, but we need to be able to listen to what people are actually asking. I've got other questions, but I'll, I'll, I'll skip them. You can hit me up later for them, but there's a whole heap of questions that we can ask ourselves to engage on. How are we doing in, with our pride? Like, how, What sort of unpacks how are we operating with humility? What's our measurement or unit of humility? When we measure with humility, we start to understand grace. Jesus came to serve humanity at its greatest need. It cost him his life, and he calls us to follow his example. See, your unit of measurement will either drive you into simply doing an identity or resting in Christ. See, we're striving not for an identity. And this is the problem, is that in life, we strive for an identity around us, well, who we are, what our success metrics are. But in Christ, we strive because we have an identity. And so we work diligently and hard with all our heart and strength and soul because of who God has called us to be and who we are in him. And it's a beautiful place of rest. I don't need to work hard to become something. I am something, so I work hard for God's glory. Because that is what he's calling us to. There's a true humility keeps our focus on God's kingdom and not our own. In 1265, so it's a few years ago, the Mongol Empire, if you're a history buff, you might enjoy this, uh, the Mongol Empire stretched from the Black Sea all the way across Asia, basically encompassed all of Asia. And uh, the Mongol king at the time, his name was Kabali Khan, and uh, he, was a, he, he, was, he heard about Christianity from Marco Polo. Marco Polo, he had his meeting with Marco Polo. And he asked Marco, Marco Polo to send to Rome a delegation, uh, to, to send from Rome a delegation of Christians. He asked I want 100 Christians to come back to the Mongol Empire to teach us about Christianity to teach the court. So this is the brains hub of the Mongol Empire. This is the court where all decisions are made in the Mongol Empire to come and teach us about Christianity and who Jesus is. What an amazing opportunity. And any missiologist would be just like drooling at this opportunity to, to be invited to teach the head of kind of the, the governing body of the world at the time about Jesus. What an amazing opportunity. So Marco Polo went back to Rome and uh, what they found is that there was so much infighting and squabbling about who there was 
different factions in the churches contesting and competing against each other. It was such a mess, it took 28 years to send one Christian back to the Mongol Empire. Missed opportunity, you know? Like, and, so, and so by being compete, competing and comparing and competitive within ourselves, we miss the opportunity of what God was wanting and what God is doing and calling his people to be. Missed opportunities. And I don't want to miss opportunities. Instead of 100 people to, to, to come and teach the Mongol Empire, and uh, the emperor, Kabali Khan, he said this. When that one guy finally arrived after 28 years, Kabali Khan, he'd, he'd re- retired, he's no longer the emperor, emperor. He said, it is too late, I have grown old in my idolatry. But there was a heart and a yearning to hear from God. And, and sometimes we, we get so fixated on our comparisons and competing and we use the world's metrics of success which drive us that we miss at times what God is calling us to be, to be authentic, to be a shining light, to be a beacon of hope, to speak into the darkness a message of Jesus. And sometimes we can, get, we can miss that because we're distracted the last one is that humility puts you in a place where you can be discipled. It's like fertile ground. Humility is a posture that as we operate in it, we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. See, God doesn't force change on you. But when you walk in humility, when we walk in humility and in His Spirit, He is able to grow, to develop, and to d- develop groups, uh, so giftings and fruit in our lives. And it's a beautiful place you want to be. You want to be in fertile ground. I was uh, running a, a, a wedding yesterday, and um, I love talking, I love weddings because this, this, is, this is relationship that's formed and it's you investing in it. And I love the saying, I always use the saying, the grass is greener on the other side, but the grass is actually truly green where you're watering it. And humility puts us in a place to be watering our relationship with God, our relationship with people around us. If you want to have a successful marriage, be humble, because that allows you to love deeply, to grow in love, to grow in favor, to grow in all the gifts. Humility puts you in a beautiful place that you will grow in all relationships all around you. See, pride will get you into trouble. Humility will get you out of it. And that's not a rule for everything. Sometimes there's still consequences you need to face. Um, try that when you get arrested for something. No, it doesn't work like that. But it, it's, there is a significant principle that humility allows God to operate and work powerfully in your situation. Humility draws people in. But there's this generational thing that happens that my metrics of measurement of success are passed on from my parents. And I'm not, I'm not using this opportunity to point my finger at dad and say, bad dad. But this is something that's significant that happens. I'm a Kiwi, all right? Proud to be a Kiwi Aussie. I'm both. And um, as a Kiwi, one thing that was drilled into me as a young boy is that your value, that this was never spoken, but this was something that was said, that your value is in being a hard worker. Your work ethic is your value. And so coming over here and seeing Aussies, we sort of look down on the Aussies all like, they don't work hard. Um, and so there's the comparison game. Sorry if you're an Aussie here, I love you. Um, but there's this, this metric that works, but we get passed on what is significant 
by our parents? Like, what's our measuring stick? What's our measuring stick of worth? Maybe it might be education. Maybe get passed on that if you're not educated, you're nothing. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's about money. If you haven't got enough dollars in the, in the bank, then you're not really significant. You're not that valuable. And these are never really spoken, but they're, they're learnt, and we pick them up as we grow old. Maybe it's emotional intelligence, your ability to connect with people, to engage with people. There's so many metrics that we pick up on as measurements of, of value and success. I was talking to a psychologist, Andy Pocock, and um, I was doing a camp with him, and uh, he, he said something really profound, and it really stuck with me, that he said that with boys particularly... We all do this at all ages, but particularly boys aged four and between 13 and 14, around that age, four and 14, boys are asking one question. Only one question that's really want to know. Their one question is, am I enough? The only question they really want to know, am I enough? And they'll be looking at primarily dad or the significant male person in their life for that validation, for that, that significance. Am I enough? Now, ironically, my boy is four and we spent most of yesterday wrestling. Uh, so he, he, he is continually wanting to prove himself. Am I enough? Am I enough? He's comparing, this, this identity runs deep in us. We need to know, are we enough? This is a message that we all ask throughout our life, am I enough? And I want you to know today you are enough because of Jesus. You are enough. You don't have to strive to become something. You are enough who you are right now. You can rest in that identity. You are enough. You are significant. You are loved. You are cherished. You don't need to compete, compare. You are enough. And that's a message that we take hold of. It's a message that the devil doesn't want us to embrace or understand. He wants us competing and comparing because we miss out on what God is doing around us and in our lives. But you are enough. And it's such a powerful message that by God's grace alone, you are infinitely valuable. Nothing that you can do to add value to your life. And I'm not suggesting we all just sit at home and, and just don't do anything. See, it's that knowing your worth makes us want to work harder. It makes us want to be diligent in all that we do. But your worth is because of Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, come and have a chat. With, I'd love to pray with you and introduce you to the person who gives you your ultimate worth. Maybe you've been coming to church for 30 years and you still haven't connected and committed your heart with his he wants you to know that you are infinitely valuable. You are enough right now who you are. Now, I wish that the Americans would take on metric measuring systems. Probably not going to happen. Uh, but I think the greater challenge would be for us to lay down our measuring stick of comparisons and competition with the world, because we'll never be satisfied in that space, to lay down a measuring stick and accept your identity in Christ, that you are loved, that you are worthy, accept who you are, embrace who you are, and operate from that place. Such a beautiful thing when we start operating with humility and when we start to understand God's grace. So value humility because with it, you allow God to use you wherever you are. 
You are significant. That's your identity in Christ. Don't lose that significance. Don't allow the devil to wash or water down your identity. You are cherished and loved. Embrace it. Embody it. And let it transform how you live. How you engage with your neighbours. Those people that annoy you. Those people on the plane next to you that just are totally different to you. Allow it to transform how you engage. How you love. Let humility rule in your life. And so a big thank you. Thank you for all those who do so much around here without recognition. So humility says, I don't need to be seen. But there's a lot of people who do so much. And so thank you. Thank you for those who do the lawns and mowing and cleaning and rosters and serving and different ministries. Thank you. Thank you that you're doing it not for recognition. And as a church, let us be more and more about serving our community and world without recognition. Thanks for all that is done with no agenda or comparisons or competition and often just as a simple response of what God has done in our own lives. I'll just, I'd like to finish here. I'll invite the team up and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that it's an unconditional love. There's no conditions on your love. Lord, we don't earn your love. We simply rest in it. We acknowledge who you are and what you have done. Lord, today, would you help us to do a health check of our own pride? Would you reveal the people in our lives that we are competing with? The attitudes in our heart that we're looking for significance or value in other things, whether it's money, whether it's property, whether it's things, toys or gadgets or relationships, whatever we see as ourselves as being superior or more worthy or honourable, help us to serve and submit to the people around us. Give us that attitude that you came to earth with to seek and serve and love the lost. Lord, would you break our heart for what breaks you and would that not be just the Christianese, but would we actually embrace that in our life? Would we seek to raise up the people below us in work? That we won't be threatened by other people, but we would love people. Help us to be authentic and genuine in all that we do and, we, and help us to walk in your humility, Lord. Would you do this for us today? In Jesus' name, amen.